A daily digest of the who, what, and why of Waterloo Region. Welcome to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Great to be back on City News 570 and on Kitchener Today. I am Larry Fedorik for Thursday, April the 7th. I've been really keeping track since my uh, thing yesterday of thinking it was April 5th. I'm now specifically reminding myself of the day and date. It is Thursday, April 7th. Here we go. Uh, It's budget day, federal budget day in this country. And also, uh, as you heard, Tiger Woods is on the course at Augusta National for the Masters. And I'm really not sure which one I care about more at this point. Uh, I mean, uh, Tiger Woods, as we talked yesterday, a very interesting story for, gosh, the last 25 years, but certainly this time around. And I had to look it up yesterday just to make sure. That car accident, February of 2021. That's right. So, 14 months later, 14 months after almost losing a leg, he's got all kinds of plates and screws in there, and he's walking around the course at Augusta. And he's, as, as you just heard on the news, he has parred the first three holes, so that's good. Uh, but really what is going to be the challenge is not so much has he got the swing, can he hit the ball where he wants to hit the ball, but can he walk four miles a day for four days? Uh, really, you know, I mean, they show him walking, he kind of looks okay, but he is favoring, of course, that leg that was so busted up in the, in the car accident only 14 months ago. So I think that's part of the story is just this, uh, success against all kinds of physical challenges and other challenges. So I think that's part of why we enjoy, uh, watching tiger on this particular thing. So there is that to watch. And I know the federal, I'm, I'm half kidding about what I care about most. I mean, the federal budget affects our lives day to day, although I never know how to feel on budget day when I'm looking at either an Ontario budget or a federal budget, I'm like, well, okay, I know this affects my life, but it really, you don't see it right away. You know, when the budget has been tabled, like if an hour later there was a knock on my door and I was like, who is it? Federal government? Yes. hundred dollars, please. We need a hundred dollars. You know, if they started collecting, do you take uh, debit? Yes, yes. Uh, well, or 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 they paid me money. You know, and I realize these are these are budget items that are going to affect our lives. But it's kind of hard to soak them in, I guess, on budget day because there is so much, and and including in today's budget, and we'll talk about this more in a half an hour. But uh, the idea that uh, we didn't expect to spend all this money on defense suddenly of Vladimir Putin arranged for that. Although, you know, a lot of the talk about this war is people should have seen this coming and we've never really met our NATO commitment for spending. I think, what is it? 2% of GDP. We've never really gone there and uh, we've never really spent that money. So now it's time. I mean, it really is. So there'll be that in the budget. Anyway, the budget talk is coming up in about half an hour. We're going to have an expert on from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, uh, Ontario Division, if you will. And we'll talk about some of these budget items, which include not only defense spending, but items that we're concerned about, like affordable housing and inflation. 
which is really affecting us directly and greatly day to day. So we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, producer Polly is here. Polly, how are you today? Not too bad, Larry. It's Thursday, to right? It. Am I right? Yeah, it's uh, it's what is it? What do they call that? Friday Junior? Yeah, some people call it Friday Junior. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. I just just remembered that, and and uh, you know these nicknames for every day: Hump Day, Friday Junior, Friday. So, uh, uh, and also Brittany Bordelon is here, executive producer. Brittany, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. I've got my little guys. I've got a little calendar here that uh, you can't see on the Zoom thing, but uh, I've. I've marked it down. Now I got 11 more sleeps until better call Saul. Okay. Now, what is that? Are they supposed to call somebody in 11 days? Is that a show? Hold on. You, hold, hold on. What did I just hear here? First, Paulie, what did you just say? <laughs> Are you supposed to call somebody in 11 days? Is this like a reminder on your phone? Okay. No. And then Brittany, you said, is that a show? Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah. Is that a show? Oh my gosh. Oh my uh -oh. gosh. So uh oh. We're in trouble, so Paul. We'll to get a, a lesson. <laughs> Earlier on, Mike Farwell was talking about how people have lost relationships due to politics and a polarized society. Mm -hmm. I have lost friendships over TV shows and movies. I'll tell you this right now. Uh, are we not friends anymore? <laughs> well, sure. But it's different now. No, I'm kidding. Better call Saul. Well, okay, let me ask you Breaking Bad. Yeah, okay. Breaking Bad TV show. Yep. Okay. So, highly successful huge TV show. The the spin-off, if you will, was Better Call Saul with Bob Odenkirk. Okay. Yeah, I've never so, I've never seen any of the I've never well, I guess yeah, okay. Go ahead. Okay, so Saul Saul Goodman uh was a lawyer in the Breaking Bad series. And the creators of Breaking Bad uh, said, boy, if, if we want to, of all the great characters on Breaking Bad, if we want to uh, uh, sort of investigate any particular character and expand on it and find out where this person came from and what his story was, it would be this Saul Goodman character because Bob Odenkirk was so good in it. So they did this show, and I, I guess it's what, 10 or 13 episodes per season, and um, and you know now shows they pause for like eight months, fourteen months, yeah. right? Shows just pause like that. And the last season is debuting April eighteenth. It hasn't been on for over a year. And so all the questions that uh, we've been wondering about about Saul Goodman and and Kim and Nacho and Mike and all these names that are going to mean nothing to you guys. I'm like, uh, this is the show that I watch. I mean, I don't think I've really watched anything uh, that people are talking about to any great extent. But this show is is like finally here in like 11 sleeps. I'm so excited. I can't believe you guys don't know the show. I've never even heard. I mean, I've heard of Breaking Bad. I've never watched it. I've never even heard of this Better Call Saul show. I. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. It's. I, I can't even tell you how, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to be one of those guys because then you overhype it and then say one day you choose to watch it and you go, well, I, I don't know. It's not as good as he said it was. Yeah, you know? thanks, Larry. <laughs> yeah, thanks right, for nothing. Right, right. And, and, it's, I, I, and I'm so happy because I already have the channel. It's on AMC, which is a channel I seem to have on my package here. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I don't have to go out and, and subscribe to get another streaming channel, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so thrilled yeah. about that. That's getting frustrating, actually, is <laughs> subscribing to numerous streaming channels. Now, isn't that going to be the death of us for information and entertainment? Don't you think so? Well, it's like I already have, you know, um, you know, cable and all that stuff. But then it's like, oh, yeah, you got to get Netflix. You got to get, uh, you know, Disney Plus and then Crave has their own now. And yeah, oh, Discovery. Everything like, is so segregated. Uh, like some shows you like are on this service yeah. and some shows you like are on that service. Uh, yeah. So frustrating. So it's just cable all over again. Mm-hmm. It's just when, you know, when we had our, our over-the-air broadcast channels, which you, people might be surprised to learn, they still exist, <laughs> but they're out there. And and then we start, we had to have cable because all the cool shows and all the good stuff. So we ended up with like, you know, 800 channels of cable and we didn't watch, you know, all of the, like we watched two or three of them. And so people started cutting the cord and buying antennas to pull signals out of the air for free. And they started streaming shows. And then they said, well, that's no good. We're not making money on that. So how do we make money? So now there are monthly fees. And uh, as as you pointed out, you guys pointed out, it's the division of entertainment. So mm-hmm. like I really wanted to watch the Beatles documentary Get Back mm-hmm. back in December, mm-hmm. right? Disney Plus. I had to get Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of there. I forgot to cancel it. I've been paying for it for two months, you know. Because and and then, and then there's another business past this now that's you can get an app that manages your subscriptions and tells you which ones you're using and not. I'm like right. just like mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Yeah. So I watched. Um, I just watched like all of Yellowstone, right? Which is on um, Amazon Prime. Right. And then they had a, like a kind of like a prequel i think it's called like 1883 or something like that and it's like life before the show of yellowstone right and but that's on a completely different streaming service it's on paramount plus and i'm like i'm not gonna subscribe to paramount plus just for this one show so everybody's talking about that the other one and i have not seen it at all that is see because everybody is telling me to watch yellowstone Mm -hmm. and it's really good i think well during some Amazon order at some point, I think I got Amazon Prime video. I, I It was a deal. They said, you know, with your order, you can get a, this trial for this much. I think I still have it. Well, then what are you waiting for, Larry? Come on. <laughs> so now I'm – and how far behind am I on Yellowstone? Uh, I think like, there's only been like four seasons on Amazon Only Prime. four seasons. Yeah, but like there are only like 12 episodes. Per season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like you have to go back and watch like 22 or 24 seasons, you know, or episodes. But it is a commitment. (laughs) It is. But honestly, it's if there's anything I'm good at, Larry, it's binge watching TV. Okay. I don't understand (laughs) the whole binge watch. I can't possibly see myself just sitting in front of the TV for 12 hours watching the exact same show oh paul you need to a day in my life please <laughs> like 12 hours on the couch i can do that but i'm flipping around the different things and... i don't know like once like a show like yellowstone or something like pulls you in that that's it you know that's okay. like okay imagine 48 hours like how 48 hours pulls you in mm-hmm. right all right so so breaking bad when i heard about the show this is probably now 
20 years old, 15 years old. When I heard about Breaking Bad, I was like, this sounds like a show I'd really enjoy. And I enjoyed all the actors in it and everything. And I was like, and I never watched it. So, and then I fell behind and I was like, well, this task now is too monumental to try and catch up. And I just happened upon Better Call Saul and people go, well, you're not getting all of Better Call Saul because there's a, uh, there's a timeline connection with Breaking Bad. And I'm like, okay. So I, the only show I've ever binged was Breaking Bad. I finally, uh, and when I say binged, I would watch two episodes a night for, and it took me just over a month to watch it all. But I mean, that was dedication for me to sit down for two hours and watch two episodes of this show, you know? And, and I finally got caught up and I'm so glad I did because it's an amazing show and it helped me understand Better Call Saul, which was kind of that spinoff or prequel or whatever you want to call it. I don't know, but it's, yeah, but that's, and there's, that's not even binging though. Is it Brittany? I mean, two hours a night. Yeah, I wouldn't really classify that as binging. If you finish a whole season, yeah. I mean, now, now you're impressing me here, Larry. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, I don't know. I So that's, I mean, I kind of binged, um, Ted Lasso because I was behind mm. on that That's and a good I kind of binged um, Afterlife with Ricky Gervais but there's only about like six episodes of those so it's really only a three hour but I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't know let's see what Walter has to say Walter welcome to Kitchener today hey Walter how's it going yeah like Polly and Brittany you guys got far too much time on your hands, man. If your guys are sitting there for 12 hours watching TV, <laughs> I, just, think how much, I, uh, just think how much garbage you could pick up, you know, um, in, in like 12 hours, like uh, that fellow this morning there, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, try and find a, a, you know, something more constructive to do, you know what I mean? Like The only thing that I ever have binged on is a case of beer when I'm up fishing with my buddy. That's all <laughs> it. But, uh, okay, thanks, guys. Well, thanks, Walter. Hi, you just Walter. made me feel so bad about myself for watching some TV. You know, sometimes people do, I don't know, like, I, maybe people do have too much time on their hands. I came mm-hmm. across a YouTube video about, oh, it was probably nine months ago, of a guy who did it was a 20-minute YouTube video trying to figure out the layout of the Simpsons house. And he analyzed hundreds of episodes trying to figure out the, the, the layout. I'm like, who has that much time? Right. Right. <laughs> it was and interesting. Then you sat down and watched I it. watched the video. It was fascinating. <laughs> but I'm like, I wouldn't have time to do the research on this, but this guy did. So I used to, anytime anybody ever said, well, I guess you got to, to, somebody has too much time in their hands, I always find that very, uh, and no disrespect, Walter. That's kind of a condescending remark. That's, I mean, it really is commenting on your, your taste, your, your ability, what you do with your life. It's like, well, no, that's what I do. I, I, I do sit down and watch 10 hours of this or investigate or go down a rabbit hole on the internet about something, you know, and, um, it, it's what you do. It's what you do to keep yourself sane, mm-hmm. to keep yourself mentally and, healthy. Uh, and you if know. you're hosting a radio show though, it, it, you need to be well-versed in different areas and in pop culture, know what people are watching. You need to watch all these shows, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. That's what I tell myself. And and also, <laughs> be, being being into a, a talk show and being into news in general, uh, I, I'm sure my Google and Facebook algorithms have just given up. <laughs> They're just like, we don't know what this guy was into. He's clicking on everything, right? He's like... 
this guy's all over the road, man. We don't even know what to send him anymore. We, we, we just, cause you, you do, you do, you know, watch and, and, and go through a lot of different things just to, just to kind of find out what, what is uh, out there. Uh, you know, you know, one thing, and we'll pick this conversation up in just a minute here. One thing that is driving me crazy is this word. Um, can I say it? Yes, I will. Plus, oh my gosh, that is going to be the end of us. Uh, more in a moment on Kitchener Today. This is City News 570. I'm your guest host today, Larry Fedorik, with you. And we were just talking about streaming services where people are watching. Um, I, I got, not it's streaming, it's a channel on television. It's called AMC and Better Call Saul is on it. Breaking Bad was on it. And Better Call Saul is the final season. Am I the only one who's heard of Better Call Saul? Oh, my gosh. Anyway, Better Call Saul is finally coming back April 18th. I'm so excited. Uh, here's Paul on the show. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, you know, I, I got to say, you know, I'm really disappointed that Polly doesn't know who, uh, you know, anything about Breaking Bad or... Uh, um, or better call Saul. The, you know, now I, I guaranteed ask Brittany who was the last bachelorette or bachelor or whatever to get dropped <laughs> for whatever reason. She'll know that but a show that actually has a plot to it. And neither of them seem to know anything about it. Oh, we started wow. watching it because it's coming back. We started watching some of the, uh, uh the end of the last, just so we'd be uh, refreshed for the upcoming right, seasons. Did. Yeah, yeah, me too. And wow. Paul, that, back the bus up here. Well, okay? that's true. <laughs> Brittany and I love our cheesy reality shows, but we've never watched Breaking Bad. That's terrible. Everybody's got different tastes. <laughs> hey, that's fine. That's why That's why there's a million hours of content out there uh, to watch so that everybody has something. But yeah, I am. I, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that you'd love Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, but... Um, the quality of the shows are are just amazing. So, this is this is a big deal for Better Call Saul fans because we've waited months and months and months and months, and now finally this whole thing is going to be resolved in one final season, and uh, it's and it's eleven sleeps away. I'm so excited, um, and and again, it's a channel I have now. I I I got Netflix pretty early. Because you had to have Netflix, and it was it was the disruptor in the the whole thing, and it was kind of first, if you will, first and biggest, and and everybody else said, well, we'll stream too then, and and we'll charge, and it's it's not sustainable. The deal is, it's it's not sustainable because you can't get Netflix and Crave and Disney Plus and Apple Plus and BritBox and Paramount and Peacock and whatever the CBS one is called, and Amazon Prime Video, and that's off the top of my head, and that's nine of them at 10 to 15 bucks a pop. That's your cable bill that, yeah. you, were, that you cut, you know? It's, it's insane. Now, you know, CNN Plus is, is uh, one of my latest pet peeves is because I'm watching, I'm flipping around, CNN is on, and there's an interview on, that I kind of really interested in and it stops about a minute in and the host comes on and goes, yeah, that's my interview. Catch the rest of it by subscribing to CNN plus. Oh. And, 
And so this is, and I understand, understand you're a business and I understand news is a business and news gathering is expensive and you got to make money, but it's the same kind of thing as a paywall on the internet. Once you start dividing the entertainment or the information and saying, okay, you get this. And if you want more, you pay this and we'll give you this. It's, it's, I fully expect the day that I'm going to be tuning into the news on CNN and it'll say, well, World War III has just begun. <laughs> if you would like to know more, subscribe now to CNN+. Plus. Uh. In other news, you know, it, it's just like, guys, uh, you're really messing with our, our, well, our entertainment is one thing, I guess, but our information, too, by paywalling and plussing us right into the poorhouse. Speaking of the poorhouse, hopefully not. Federal budget today. We're going to talk about that next on Kitchener Today. Welcome back to the program. Later on, on today's show, we're going to talk about an interesting study out of the University of Guelph. And you may have heard the story earlier today on City News 570. So they talked to a bunch of people employees during COVID time and rated um, anxiety levels. And guess what? They're high. Okay. So that's one part of the story is that during COVID, our anxiety levels are high because there's no escaping it. It is everywhere. So whether we're working at home or still having to go into a place of business, anxiety levels are high. But what comes out of that anxiety was kind of an interesting part of the study to me was that uh, ethics of certain employees changed with their anxiety. Unethical behavior in a workplace. And nothing huge. They're not embezzling money necessarily. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. But, but it's, it's just kind of unethical practices come out of anxiety that came out of COVID. Interesting study. We're going to talk to the person be, uh, behind that study, the professor behind that study, uh, coming up a little later on in the program. It's federal budget day. That should be tabled in the House of Commons uh, within hours. And I don't know if you know this or this is interesting. Let me share it very quickly. On budget day, both provincially and federally, they have something called the budget lockup. I'm sure you've heard reporters refer to this. So at the beginning of the day, because this budget is already printed in, in like a catalog and like a big thick book binder and they have a bunch of them. And as a reporter, you, uh, you, you have to, you know, qualify you, you, as a Capitol Hill reporter, you get in to, or Parliament Hill reporter, excuse me, Capitol Hill. Okay. Anyway, Parliament Hill, you go there and you get locked in a room. Basically you have to check in your cell phone. You have to sign in, you get wanded at security. And then you're just locked inside this room, looking at the budget for hours and hours and hours. You're not allowed out or anything like that. So that when the budget is tabled, say at four o'clock by four Oh one, there are reporters on television and radio telling you what's in the budget because they've just been studying it for hours. It's just an odd kind of system. And I get it. The freedom of information, the sharing of information and the press and all this, but it's really, okay. That's the way it has always worked. So before that budgets 
or items in a budget get leaked. And in this federal budget, they said there's going to be items on uh, housing, inflation, foreign ownership of housing, defense spending, and perhaps a tax on banks, increased tax on banks and insurance companies. Joining us to talk about the budget, our guest is Senior Director of Provincial Affairs in Ontario for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Ryan Malo, joining us now. Hello, Ryan. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on this uh, uh, topic, the federal budget. Uh, first of all, from the point of view of independent business, uh, what is the what is the expectation? Uh, is is it good or bad? So I, I think the expectation is a little bit muted. I think the hope for independent business, what, really what we want to see coming out of the federal budget, uh, is really a, a do-no-harm approach. It has been an incredibly difficult year, a couple of years now, for small businesses, as it has been for many people across the country. Uh, affordability is a major issue, just like we're all feeling it at the pumps or at the grocery store. The cost of doing business is also very much up. So we are looking for policies that are not adding uh, increased costs, that are not increasing the regulatory burden on businesses. That's sort of the key messaging. At the same time, we're also looking for some help. Um, You know, there's a lot of COVID-related debt here in Ontario, over $160,000 for the average small business of COVID-related debt. Are there going to be any measures that help out on that side of things, that help with the labor shortage that a lot of small businesses are feeling? We haven't seen too much of that leak yet. Certainly, we've heard about, uh, you know, the bank tax, perhaps some environmental policies. We know housing uh, is going to be a major focus of this budget, but we normally would have seen if there was something big for small business, it would have come out by now. Aren't seeing that. So I think expectations are a little muted. But again, the hope is that there's a focus on affordability and a focus on spurring the economic recovery. Well, affordability, and this leads me to my question about inflation, because during inflationary times, uh, there are people who benefit from higher prices, and one of them is a government. I mean, aren't taxes or tax revenues higher during inflationary times for a government? Yeah, if spending is able to to stay up to the levels where it's been, then yes, the government is collecting you know more overall on things like sales taxes uh, than they otherwise would be. And again, that's all well and good, but the question then becomes how are they reallocating that money? What are they focusing their spending on and the hope from the small business side of things is that it is on policies that reduce the cost of doing business uh, on the small business side, again, especially in recognition of the last couple of years and how uh, hard of a hit a lot of businesses have taken as they've navigated lockdowns and restrictions and, uh, you know, plummeting consumer confidence throughout the pandemic. Right, right. And that was kind of my point is if, if, if they are taking in more money, uh, where is that pipeline, so to speak, that flows it back to people who need it. Has there been a category of independent business that has suffered the most? So I think from what we've seen, the the businesses that are traditionally among the first closed, last open have taken the hardest hit. And that's, uh, you know, a lot of your Main Street businesses, your restaurants, the hospitality industry in particular being limited to takeout for so long. Um, but that is also uh, places like gyms, yoga studios, places where people congregate together to work out. And then, of course, event spaces. I mean, this hopefully looks like will be the first summer that we can put on even big outdoor events like rib fests or midnight madnesses, let alone anything indoors like concerts, shows, uh, sports. You know, it's going to be great to have the Blue Jays back in Toronto uh, for a full season. 
Um, so the, the event industry in particular has, has really not been at full capacity since March 2020 and is very much looking forward to getting back. Well, on other items as well, um, let's look at housing quickly, uh, bringing down housing prices and tackling inflation in some ways, theoretically, puts more money in pockets of consumers who are then going to go out and support independent business. This is what we're hoping, is it not? That's the hope. If everything works the way that, you know, it was it was hopefully designed to work, that's ultimately what we want to see. And again, given the last two years and where a lot of consumer confidence has been, I know a lot of shopping habits have uh, shifted to online. Certainly companies like Amazon have benefited from that a lot more than, you know, a, a Main Street retailer has. Um, but we are hoping that there will be, at the end of the day, more money's people, more money in people's pockets to get out and that that will not only in itself encourage people to get out, but that we also then see provincial and municipal governments following that up and saying, hey, you know, it is it is safe to go out. That restaurant is open. It's at 100 percent capacity and actually encouraging people to get out because um, that's what we've always been missing. Even if the tax policy is there, um, we still need the encouragement from the people that we've been hearing from the last two years where the message has been stay home to formally transition and say, hey, it's time to get back out. It's time to participate in the economy and really uh, kick recovery off with a bang. During inflationary times, tax revenues go up. We just talked about that. But also what goes up are interest rates generally. If interest rates go up, uh, how does that affect independent business? Does that mean the, the cost of borrowing is going to go up? Cost of financing, refinancing, all of that is maybe unaffordable suddenly? Very potentially for, for a lot of businesses. And we know, again, uh, a lot have relied on on loans and taken out additional debt just to survive on the pandemic side. Um, so, you know, in a worst case scenario, it, it could put a lot of pressure on a business to keep its space. Um, but also if businesses are, you know, looking to take out loans to do things like expand or hire more employees or open up a second location for those that are able to, it puts a little bit more pressure on those decisions as well. At the same time, that also very much also affects the housing market. And if people are, uh, you know, under variable mortgages that are suddenly going up, that means that they may have less capital to spend uh, as more money is going towards uh, the mortgage and the interest rates on that side. So it is a very delicate balance. And we are very interested to see what the government's uh, plan is to do what they need to do to temper the housing market, but at the same time, uh, make sure that they're able to keep the economic confidence and uh, encouraging people to spend uh, out there. All right. And uh, Ryan, I don't know if the, you've looked at this in your association. So if you want to take a pass on this, fine. But uh, do you have any thoughts on this alleged higher tax for the big banks and insurance companies that the you know so, the big banks and insurance companies are, are fearing right now? Yeah, so we've, we've certainly heard about it and we've seen the, the stories around it still waiting for the, vo the full details. Uh, I do know that uh, in particular here in Ontario, we have heard throughout the pandemic that a lot of businesses uh, are experiencing uh, incredibly large increases in things like commercial insurance. I'm talking about like tripling, quadrupling. Uh, I think septupling was the largest I saw uh, on the increase. And we're talking about, you know, premiums going from like 6,000 annually to 36,000. Uh, annually or 42,000 annually. Um, big fixed cost increases for business that, you know, could not have come at a worse time. So I think for some businesses, there may be some sort of, well, you know, they're certainly getting their money from us and this is sort of the right thing to do. At the same time, we know full well that 
any industry that sees that kind of tax is going to have some kind of response to it. And I think that's the one that will affect the businesses more. I don't think, you know, obviously the businesses themselves are not the big banks. They're not going to be paying it. But how will the banks be reacting to that tax? Is it something they'll just absorb or will they change their policies and fee structures and prices? And will that ultimately trickle down and and affect small businesses is what we'll be watching out for. Right, right. And the everyday consumer. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that was my first thought when I saw, all right, increase the tax. Uh, How am I going to end up paying that? That's kind of what was my first thought as well. And Ryan, lastly, the federal budget today, I, I know independent business the Canadian Federation of Independent Business is looking at this. Um, how much provincially, though? I mean, it's. I guess it is a combination. Is it not of, of provincial help and federal help that, that smaller businesses need to get going again? Absolutely. And we know we're expecting the provincial budget uh, later, closer to the end of this month. And, of course, what is or isn't in the federal budget will also sort of dictate what we're looking for to come provincially. Again, the priority is keeping... Uh, the cost of doing business down, really recognizing affordability and the labor challenges businesses are experiencing. So we are hopeful that we'll see some language and some policy around that today. Um, but absolutely, the provincial budget coming at the end of the month is going to be equally, if not potentially more important uh, in terms of providing some of that direct help and support. Yeah, I can see that. Ryan, thank you for your time. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Ryan Malau is Senior Director of Provincial Affairs in Ontario for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And um, what did he say? Muted. Uh, anticipation of the federal budget later on this afternoon because uh, we haven't heard a lot of uh, what happens or what is going to happen for independent business in today's federal budget. Um, it's money, so it's... Uh, circulates and it affects everybody. So uh, even other areas of the the budget today could affect independent business, will affect independent business, obviously, just from the sheer point of view of uh, how much money we have in our pockets and how much we're paying for things and how much we're paying for rent and mortgages. You know, I mean, uh, during this whole discussion over the last couple of years of the global economy and what's changing globally and in various nations and down to provinces and cities is is the is how the economy works and the, and I'm not an economist financial expert but suddenly the light went on when I heard here's the world economy explained in a sentence and it's this one person's spending is another person's income period that's it the explanation if you remember that you get an a plus in economics and you can go on to your next class. That's it. It is really that simple. Now, you you start dividing that down to uh, money you may spend and how it turns into income. That gets a little more complicated than saying, you know, I'm buying groceries and the cashier gets paid. Uh, but it's it's the, the systems can get complicated, but the world economy is that simple. Uh, There's not often direct lines A to B on this kind of stuff, but it is all very much so connected. So if we're looking at certainly independent business and the help they need, they they may need some A to B direct line help. But where does that money come from to to keep them going uh, ultimately from us? Uh, Where what is our what is our income? Where is that coming from? And what is it costing us to do things? So inflation, certainly today, it is expected to be addressed. Uh, record inflation. Also, the housing market, 
the government had promised to look at uh, mortgages and cost of rent as well for renters uh, years ago. And now this budget is supposed to address, you know, the practical ways in which that's going to happen. Uh, the tax on banks and insurance companies, we shall see. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one that trusts big banks and big insurance companies to, um, to not pass that along just to us as quickly as they possibly uh, can. Uh, environmental challenges uh, and challenges also with uh, oil and gas because we still need it. The solar panels aren't all going up tomorrow, you know. The wind farms aren't just going to be there tomorrow. We're, we're weaning ourselves off oil and gas, which means we still need oil and gas, and Putin has put a wrench into that. He's also affected nation to nation the defense spending of a nation, where suddenly, and the rumor I heard was $8 billion, that suddenly we're going to come up with $8 billion to put into defense. Also has to come from somewhere. And then, of course, uh, over all of this, a deficit. Uh, federal governments run deficits. So do provincial governments, cities in Ontario cannot. Uh, so uh, what is going to be that deficit? And the other quirky thing about this is the coalition, the agreement between the Liberals and the NDP. So in this budget, is there going to be dental plan, pharma plan, and how much is that going to cost and how quickly is it going to be implemented? Because that's, you know, one of the things that the NDP has said, that's part of our deal. We want that. We want we want to take care of Canadians. Um, I have no problem with that. I think it's a great idea, except, all right, it's, it's another cost. Uh, your thoughts on the federal budget, what you might think, or maybe what you might think is necessary to be said in the federal budget today. And... Uh, Talking money, I guess, when we return with Kitchener today here on City News 570. There's a lot of COVID-related debt here in Ontario, over $160,000 for the average small business of COVID-related debt. Are there going to be any measures that help out on that side of things, that help with the labor shortage that a lot of small businesses are feeling? We haven't seen too much of that leak yet. Certainly, we've heard about the bank tax, perhaps some environmental policies. We know housing is going to be a major focus of this budget, but we normally would have seen if there was something big for small business, it would have come out by now. Ryan Malo, he is with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. He's Senior Director of Provincial Affairs in Ontario, talking about the federal budget. And it always drives me crazy from a political point of view. This is all stripes, all governments, provincial, federal, that talk about the independent business and, and you know, small and medium business being the backbone of the nation, which is true, by the way, something I believe to be true. In the same way they talk about the middle class, the middle class, that's really, you know, where everyone is. And that's really the driving force of a country. So where's our help? Where's our check? Where's our stuff? Where's, where's our programs? Um, and they may be there. I'm not saying they're not going to be there either federally or provincially in about a month when, when we hear that budget, but it's, um, it's going to be interesting. And of course, the provincial budget coming up in about a month's time is going to be an election budget. We know that. So we'll have to look at that in a way that says, is this happening or do you just want me to vote for you June 2nd? Is it happening, you know, that way? 
federal budget this afternoon. Paul is on uh, Kitchener today. Hey, Paul. No, 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 no. It's not Paul. This is Karnak the Magnificent. Are you old enough oh, to know I'm who sorry, that is? Karnak. All are right, you, sir. Do you know who he is? I do know Karnak. What have you got? Uh, Karnak you got an envelope? The Magnificent. He, yeah, I'm holding the envelope uh, with all the answers okay. to the budget questions up against my forehead. And the answers okay. are liberals are going to spend millions of dollars on a committee that is going to study national dental uh, coverage for all of Canada. They are going to spend millions to send committee members around the world to investigate and see what other countries that have some sort of a national dental program are doing. They're going to spend all this money, and then a year from now, the money is there in the budget, but a year from now, that committee will report back to the government, and the government will say, well, you know, that sounds good. Put together a proposal, and you've got nine months to do it. And nine months later, they will come with a proposal, and the liberals will look at this, and they'll say, well, make a few changes here. Correct this, you know, adjust this a little bit. Three months later... In other words, two years from now, they're going to have a national dental program all set to go. And they are going to say, we are going to, the liberals, we are bringing you in this national dental program. And it is going to take effect nine months from now, after the next election. So better make sure you vote for us again. Otherwise, you know, like uh, it's not going to yeah, happen. Boy. Now, Karnak, you know, Karnak, that's one heck of an envelope, Karnak. We're going to have to seal the envelope or at that. Okay. Thank you, Karnak, for the call. The magnificent Karnak. Don't entirely disagree, Karnak. Uh, Paul, Paul Karnak. Uh, in that, in that uh, it's not just this that's government that's called government put liberal put conservative put whatever you want in front of the word government that's government and that's the problem with government in another discussion when we have more time i will tell you that's why people have a problem with democracy democracy is in peril because that's the way it works you elect a government who puts together a committee who does a study to put together uh, another committee who will uh, report on the initial study to see what happens to this committee. And I'm, and I'm like, the bureaucracy is insane. Now, uh, on one hand, you want them to think it through. You don't want to just snap, 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 spend here, there, do that, do that, because that that is just folly. But uh, you want to think it through. But the the, the, the committee and, and the time and the bureaucracy – and then when it's all get done, the Senate has to sit and snooze through it if, if they're even in session because a lot of them don't even show up. You know, there's there's a lot of faults there. Karnak is not incorrect in that it's time for government and democracy, whoever they are, what side of the uh, house they come from, it doesn't matter. It's time for them to start working for us uh, because we need it. I mean, we need it now. Uh, coming up on the program after uh, one o'clock, we're going to talk about the Twitter edit button. Sounds like a good idea, but some say, no, it's not. We'll find out more when we return. Welcome back. Great to be on City News 570. Thanks for having me back. Guest hosting Kitchener today. 
We are going to talk about Tiger Woods in our next hour after two o'clock. We'll talk a little bit about that. Also, an increased minimum wage in Ontario, at least promised. Minister of Labor, Monty McNaughton, is going to be joining us next hour. Later on this hour, have you ever um, lied at work or uh, fudged some reports or exaggerated or underplayed something and so not exactly ethical behavior at work have you ever done that i was trying to think if i've ever done that and i was like yeah uh yeah probably sure sure i have i've i've worked in offices uh i've worked behind the scenes in media and uh, been at these meetings and things there are things oh yeah sure no i did that that that's done i'll have that on your desk yeah in minutes uh uh, the reason I bring that up is University of Guelph did a, uh, an amazing study about anxiety in the workplace during COVID for the last couple of years. And then as a result of the anxiety that many people experience at their workplace, especially during COVID times, and as a result of COVID times, um, some unethical behavior resulted. So the person behind the study, uh, Professor Lori Barclay, who I'm sure you've heard uh, today in uh, news on City News 570 commenting on this story. She's going to join us for an extended chat about this a little bit after uh, 1.30. I uh, want to talk about the, the uh, Twitter edit button. I saw this yesterday that Twitter um, was working on an edit button, and it's always been the the criticism of Twitter is editing your tweets. Now, just to explain this briefly, and believe me, it's going to be brief because, uh, to paraphrase, a walk through the ocean of my knowledge of tech would scarcely get one's feet wet. Uh, it's not like I know a lot about it. And I try and limit my social to Facebook and Twitter. So on Facebook, you can edit your comments. Uh, if you if you put a comment up and decide I don't want to say that exactly or I just noticed a typo or I did this or that, there's an edit button right there, edit or delete, frankly, but the edit button is the key here, where you just hit edit and your post comment comes up and you can change anything and just save it, repost it. There it is. Twitter, you could never do that. On Twitter, if you noticed something that was just not even a, you changed your mind about the whole post, it's just you noticed something wrong or you wanted to correct something in your, you have to delete it and then do the whole post over from scratch, which doesn't sound like it's too difficult, but you know, this is the world we live in where if you have to click on something a second or a third time, you're like, oh, I got to click again. When is this going to be, you know, it's like we're so, so spoiled. Everything's got to be so fast. So, so to have to delete a tweet and then redo it. and do, So Twitter has been working on an edit button and they're going to run it as a pilot program for a while. And then I, I guess they'll have an edit button if everything goes okay. And I thought, well, why not? This sounds great. So now I'm starting to hear though, that this is maybe not a good idea. That Twitter with an edit button is just could potentially be a nightmare 
for users because now somebody can access your account um, or or your or maybe your edit button and change what you said, change the whole spirit of your post, maybe something terrible that you would never say, and there you are. And maybe you don't notice it because you don't, you know, it, it's up there for a long time or it spreads and it's not really you at all. So, of course, that's that's looking at what can go wrong, which you have to do. That's kind of what you should be doing when you're putting in new tech is plugging the holes before people can find them. In other words, here's 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 our idea. Now, how are the bad actors going to screw this up for us? So we better make sure they can't do that before we actually go with it. So that's kind of the fear. And I didn't realize there was a, a whole fear surrounding uh, an edit button for Twitter, but there is apparently. So I don't know. Do you, I mean, are you a Twitter person or are you a Facebook person? Are you a social person? I, I don't see how most people are not. Uh, every conversation, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. Every situation and every problem, no matter how big or small in this planet, no, ever, no, no matter how public or, or private our problems are, they are exacerbated and must include the conversation about us being connected all the time because we are. And that is the difference. I had this discussion with a friend yesterday. I don't know if you've ever had this discussion about the way the world is today. It's too much, right? It's too much. What's, oh my, I can't take him. I've shut off the news. I've closed my account or I'm not, I'm not going to be on social. And, and it's, and it's too much. Is, is the world that much different or we're just hearing about it now? I think both are true, by the way. I think that, that the world is different and there's more of everything. And that, but, but as I said before, it's exacerbated by the fact that we're all connected all the time. And once, once it became mobile, and this is history, uh, I'm just saying history here, it's recent history, and, and you know it, I'm just kind of vocalizing it here. When it became mobile, then, the, then it became even more of a problem. Because it, when, it, when we became connected, and it was basically a desktop, you could walk away from the desk, and it was done until you came back just like you can turn off a television and it's like that's it um the phone has become this this ubiquitous thing where it's just no i i can't leave my phone you know people uh, people complain about uh what's the thing the uh, oh the amber alert people complain about how the amber alert that they came out of Barry. What what has it got to do with me and kitchener i don't why did they run the, why am i getting this thing oh come on what about it woke me up at three in the morning and I'm like, what's your phone doing beside you at three in the morning? Uh, are, are you on call somewhere? Do you expect some sort of emergency call or is somebody in your family on their deathbed? You're like, why is that phone there beside you? Um, turn it off, leave it in another room. What people can't do that. I do that. And I, I miss a call. Guess what? I'm not a brain surgeon. Uh, nobody's, uh, nobody's, you know, wanting to know or needing to know where I am every second of the day. So this, so the, it became so much easier for people to, to, to be connected 
in their pocket, not just on their desk or even a laptop or anything like that. It's, it's this machine that's in your pocket that you've been told you need with you every second of the day, every step of the day. And it'll even keep track of your steps for you, by the way, if you're trying to count your steps, it'll just do everything and you need it. And so we get I'm a bit of a tangent here. I get it. But, but the thing is, here we are. We have this, uh, we have this phone and we're connected and we're hearing about everything all the time. So it is, it, it is kind of difficult. You know, we were just talking about the, the federal budget earlier and dutifully on City News 570 at the top and bottom of the hour, when you hear the news and you hear some, some report about the budget, federal budget today, it's an important story. We did an interview about it for about 15 minutes. We talked about it for about 20 on the program. We're moving on. If you, uh, uh, and I don't mean this to be a diatribe on, on television news, but if you tune in television 24-hour news services, the coverage on the budget is wall-to-wall. Uh, and that's part of that connectivity is it's, it's the wall to wall. It's the 24 seven it's in your pocket. It's there. Wow. No wonder we have different attitudes about the world today and what we, um, you know, how we, how we consume the information. Cause it's just always there. Uh, this all coming out of this discussion about Twitter, Twitter adding an edit button so that you can edit your posts because on Twitter, there's no such thing. Up till now, you had to delete your posts. If you saw a mistake or an error, you changed your mind, you had to delete them and do them. You couldn't just edit them like you can on Facebook. But the whole idea of being connected is, and Mike Farwell touched on this topic this morning on his show on City News 570 about the polarization of, of the world. Why is the world becoming so polarized? There's a lot of reasons. Um, the rise of nationalism is one of them. Uh, one of them is being connected because you can be um, validated with any wacky opinion you have. You can be almost instantly validated within minutes by finding uh, 50, 500, 5,000 people who think what you think, no matter how out there it is. Somebody will say, yeah, way to go. I was just thinking that. And it's not that these, these thoughts are wrong. I'm just saying in the case of extreme, extreme thoughts, uh, you're, you're validated. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no buddy there to say, I, I don't, I don't agree. And if they do, usually they're outnumbered by the people who go, Hey, yeah, way to go. I, I think what you think. And, and so it's easier for people to kind of stand their ground, no matter, uh, how ridiculous, their premise might be. And then after that, uh, once you're there and you've got a, a following, if you want to call it that, or you've got enough friends kind of around you, then it's harder for the other information to get in. And it's harder also because in um, Facebook, Twitter, and social media, there is profit for them to send you what you want to see and hear. Many people have said this, but it's worth repeating. Uh, if they find out what you want to see and hear, and they just keep sending you that information, then you're not you're never you're, you're never really going to get an uh, an opposing view or another side or some or some new thoughts because you're just not getting them. 
the classic example is, you, you know, if you're ever talking to a friend who's in Calgary, um, even if you have similar uh, issues, Google the same question. Google the same question uh, while you're talking to somebody in a different location and you'll get different answers. How is that possible? How is it possible that there isn't only one answer or one truth? You'll get different answers because Google is sending them something they want to hear based on their algorithm and something you. So it's a, uh, it's a tangled web, the World Wide Web, and uh, we keep making it more complicated. Uh, anyway, we were, <clears throat> excuse me, we were waiting on a guest for our uh, Twitter button thing, and uh, we didn't get one. But, uh, you know, we can continue this discussion. We'll get you the phone numbers, and uh, we can talk more about maybe how you approach or use social, if you do. We'll talk more about that when we return on City News 570. Welcome back. I'm your guest host, Larry Fedorik. We were just talking about social media in a general sense. I, I guess started because of this Twitter story that Twitter is going to have an edit button, which Facebook has, Twitter did not. On Twitter, you have to delete your comment and then repost it if you want to make a, a change or an edit. Some people say this is going to be a bad idea because now people are going to get in there and edit your account, which I, I guess is you know, hackers, people like that, bad actors, as they call them. So, uh, you know, Twitter's, do we trust Twitter to kind of plug those holes so that we we have a nice, safe little edit button? But it led to the conversation about social media and how we're using it. And I was reminded, too, that of the, so I got a lot of thoughts on this because it's, it's, it's media, first of all, and I've been in media all my life, so it's always been an interest to me. So, you know, theoretically, media is, Social media is like almost like an oxymoron. Media is social. That's kind of what it means. Uh, but we call it social media, fair enough. And, and here we are, and we're all connected, and everybody's in media today. And uh, I, I've tried to study it as much as I can. The Social Dilemma on uh, Netflix, if you have it, is pretty cool, pretty eye-opening if you ever want to see and learn more about how it all works, which I, I think is important. And I'll touch on that in a second. But Matt is here joining the show. Hey, Matt. Hi, how you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Um, just to talk, I guess, uh, elaborate more on this. Like to me, the term that's commonly used is uh, an echo chamber, right? The algorithm right. keeps like the social media algorithms keep feeding you more and more and more. And I think, uh, a bit of an underlying uh, theme to some of this, too, is uh, you have um, what some refer to it as legacy media, like yourselves at 570 News. Um, sometimes people hear other news stories through social media and through, you know, being promoted these different news sources um, that aren't mainstream. And then when you hear confl conflicting results and, uh, let's say, as, as, sorry, as you alluded to earlier, a non-diverse, um, I guess, maybe media landscape – then maybe some distrust builds there, and then people get filtered into these echo chambers, which helps uh, maybe further division with things, too. So I think, you know, the where there is good in social media, um, some of the algorithms have, I think, unfortunately provided too many echo chambers. And so you can't check your own, um, you know, your own opinions and check yourself, mm. uh, so to speak. Uh 
Matt, yeah, that's great. Thanks for the call, Matt, by the way. And that is a, a most wonderful description uh, right on, Matt. I mean, that's exactly part of it. Uh, there are ways, and that's where I say if you have some time to watch The Social Dilemma, there are ways when where, where you can change your algorithm. It, it, it is, it's hopeful that we are smarter than our algorithms, uh, that algorithms still have a long way to go before they actually control us and read our thoughts. You know, it's, it's um, al- al- like for myself, who's into news and information, and I also weekly do a podcast. So I'm always doing little bits of research on it. And just in general terms of, of, of news and information, uh, I, I see myself in the course of an hour clicking on, and I know, listen, I get algorithms are a little more complicated than this, but for example, I will click on Canadian men's soccer and the war in Russia and Nicole Kidman because she's in this Lucille Ball movie. So then, oh, Lucille Ball. Oh, but then I want to click over here on who's that guy that used to do uh, Latin music, but then, so I'm now I'm on Latin music and then and on and on and twisting and turning and back to, so, you know, in the course of an hour, they don't know, am I into sports? Am I into movies? Nicole Kidman particularly? Am I, where, where? They, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Now I still, you know, uh, click on, um, Ritz crackers and there's Ritz cracker ads now on Facebook. I'm seeing them because I was searching for, you know, whatever it is, they, they do find you and they do find things. But there are all kinds of ways where you you cannot follow the rhythm they're trying to give you and kind of, like I say, almost like mess with them uh, a little bit. I, my overall point on this, and I always make this point, is that when it comes to um, consuming information and media, most of us don't give too much thought. We 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 will comparison shop for days to buy a new electric can opener or uh, we we some of us even read labels in stores because we're concerned about nutrients uh we don't want to get taken we know where the bargains are we know we shop we shop we shop we're pretty good consumers except when it comes to information and suddenly I don't know why we're not good consumers of media and why we're not more aware of how to, I'll say purchase, because in some cases, literally, we do purchase media, but how we how we purchase and absorb and use our, our media. We just got to become better customers, better consumers. So uh, we'll talk about ethics at the workplace as a result of anxiety at the workplace, as a result of covid This is quite the story, a study out of the University of Guelph. And the professor behind that study is going to join us in just a few minutes here on Kitchener Today. A lot of promises coming out of the provincial government uh, over the last little while. Gosh, one would think there was an election happening soon or something. Uh Yes, I I think we all have a little bit of cynicism. Uh, about that, about governments in general, when that happens, close to election time, whether it's uh, left, right, uh, provincial, federal, you kind of go, oh, so now all these wonderful things are happening for us. 
just ahead of the time. You're asking me to vote for you. So there is a slight amount of cynicism in this promise from the Ford government, at least for me, uh, in, in uh, this promise of uh, an added 50 cents to the minimum wage come October. Okay. Uh, so we'll, um, on the other hand, it's a great time to talk about minimum wage, living wage, and uh, economic pressures facing Ontarians. And we're going to do that with Monty McNaughton. He is the Minister of Labor and uh, Skills and Development, also from uh, London, Kent, Middlesex. He's the MPP there. And we'll get a chance to do that in about half an hour's time. And also next hour, well, we will talk a little bit more about the Masters with a, uh, a golf journalist and uh, Tiger Woods, who's out there today. And uh, as you heard on our news earlier, parred the first, I think, five holes, got a birdie on the sixth hole. So we'll see what it takes to... Um, win the Masters this year, how, how much under par you have to be to win that Masters. I, I was kind of amused when they uh, asked Tiger Woods, I guess, yesterday or perhaps Tuesday, as he said he was pretty sure he was going to play, and 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 then he said, yeah, I'm going to play. And they said, you feel you can win? And he was like, "What? A, I'm sorry, but what a dumb question. <laughs> he wouldn't play if he didn't think he could win. That's that's the competitive spirit of Tiger Woods and a lot of golfers. Do you think you're going to win? No, I suck, man. I'm just here for the free sandwiches. You know, like, yeah, I think I can win. That's why, you know, we shall see, but I think I can win. That's why I'm playing. Well, more on this later on uh, golf and the Masters. And uh, as I said, on Masters weekend, it used to be, I'd rather be out golfing. Depends on the weather. This week, it looks like, or this year, it looks like we're watching golf uh, instead of playing it. I was very intrigued by this story when I first heard it this morning, and it was out of the University of Guelph, and a study that said there's a lot of anxiety as a result of uh, anxiety at the workplace, specifically, as a result of uh, COVID. And that led to uh, some different kinds of behavior, which we're going to talk about with the the person behind this uh, study, business and economics professor at the University of Guelph, Lori Barclay, is joining us. Hello, Professor Barclay. Hi, Larry. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. I, I really am intrigued by this study. First of all, the genesis of the of the study, was it just about anxiousness and anxiety in the workplace as a result of COVID? Is that how it started? Well, what we were seeing is that there was an increase in anxiety just about COVID in general. Um, and so a lot of us were feeling really anxious about it. About 80% of employees actually report feeling anxiety about it. And at the same time, we were also seeing an increase in unethical behaviors. And so my, my co-author, Annika Hillebrandt from Ryerson and myself, um, we wanted to study to see whether or not there was a link there. And that's exactly what we found, is that the more anxious you are about COVID, the more likely we are to engage in self-interested unethical behaviors, so things like cheating. Gee, okay. Well, I, I want to get into that a little more. Uh, the, but, but the anxiety from COVID, this is because it's COVID, because it's everywhere? It's, I mean, you know, there's, there's always anxiety at a workplace. Yeah, this is um, about whether or not you were worried about the health effects of COVID and also the financial threat of COVID. So if you were worried about your job or you had anxiety about whether your company was going to survive during COVID, um, anything that made you think that COVID was a threat to you uh, was increasing anxiety. 
And as a result, and you did find this link because you also noticed that you said this this um, uh, a rise in unethical behavior at the workplace, right? Yeah, we did. So it's little things like misrepresenting your work activity to make yourself look more productive, uh, making it look like you're working when you're not. Those types of behaviors were greatly on the increase. Okay, but is it? Uh, let me ask you: Isn't that just called the office? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think there's a difference, though. I think you know sometimes you know, particularly with COVID, when we're all burned out and tired, um, you know, sometimes it's it's helpful to slack off or you know take a few minutes on the internet just to kind of rebuild our resources. But these are really you know those little white lies that kind of add up over time. And so, so your point's well taken. I think um, we actually have an expression um, where everyone has the capacity to be dishonest and everyone cheats, and it's just that in the context of COVID, we're really seeing an escalation of those behaviors. Okay. And, and did you look at sort of levels of behavior? In other words, uh, I'm just going to check my Twitter account here as opposed to, you know, lying on a report that could, you know, drastically affect the business. Yeah, well, what we looked at was more around whether or not you were kind of exaggerating your performance and those types of things. Um, there's other researchers that have also um, shown that you're actually more likely to falsify information to management. You might be falsifying customer records. Um, so about 30% of employees were actually engaging in those behaviors during the pandemic as well. And so what we're finding is that 90% of companies are actually reporting that there's an increase in unethical behavior during the pandemic. And, and and not just from people working from home, or did you look at that? I mean, is it is it easier to cheat, so to speak, working from home? Great question. Um, it's actually pretty much the same, regardless of whether you're working from home or you're working on site. Everyone's engaging in the behaviors, um, and so there's no differences there. So how much uh, responsibility should management be taking in these kinds of things? I mean, uh, about, and I realize they're up against the, uh, uh, a real tough opponent, COVID. Uh, but yeah. what's the what's the job of management here to to create a workplace where this doesn't happen? It's a great question. I mean, we found that a, a really simple intervention can actually help decrease the link between anxiety and unethical behavior. And that was just sharing uh, pro-social messages with your employees. And so what that really means is helping them understand the meaningful impact of their work for others. And so um, letting them know that, you know, in, in a grocery store, you know, you're really having a, a strong impact on your community by showing up to work every day and that type of thing. And so it's guiding their attention towards the benefit of their work on others. And I think it's really important there to emphasize that it's not about getting your employees to do more work to recognize. It's about recognizing the meaningful work that they're already doing. Um, and I think also for companies, it's about trying to make sure that you're managing um, the other um, antecedents to, to, uh, sorry, to anxiety. So things like making sure that they feel secure and have psychological safety in the workplace and making sure that they you know, don't feel like their job's at risk and, and those types of things. And so communicating well is also incredibly important. Right, right. Because, and as I said earlier, there's already anxiety in a workplace, and and you add something like this, like COVID, which is just it goes through everything uh, that that you have to do this. I really like that idea of of making employees understand where they fit. Because sometimes I, I I think people don't understand where do I fit in this big machinery here. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that, you know, building those trusting relationships so you can have those conversations. So an employee can say, you know what, hey, I'm just having an off day. I need a little bit of extra time to recoup some resources here versus, you know, um, having to feel like they have to lie to management to actually take that time for themselves. Because, again, I think we're all burned out and tired at this point in the pandemic. 
Right, right. And and uh, you saw this these two things, and and then and then you discover the correlation between them. Uh, do we see or do you sense that it, it'll be changing as COVID changes or workplaces change? That this kind of behavior will change, anxiety will drop. I'm hoping. Well, I think I, I hope so too. I think um, one of the big predictors here is whether or not we feel uncertain. And so I think if we continue to feel this level of uncertainty, and if our organizations don't give us the messaging that we need to do, um, to really quell that that uncertainty, then I think it will actually continue to happen. And so I think the organization's responsibility here is really to again help manage um, the information flow, and so that your employees know what's coming down the pipeline, and they can prepare themselves, even if it's bad news. It can be really, really helpful to have that information. Uh, and, and what about an amnesty program? I'm, I'm only half kidding. Where, <laughs> uh, where, certain, where it's like, hey, if, you know, we all make mistakes or we do things, it's like, let's forget the past and move on and make it a better future, you know? Is, is, would you recommend something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that's actually been shown to be really important is treating it as, you know, we're all going through this together as opposed to, oh, you know, there's, you know, you're doing something bad or, or something else is happening and you pin it on an individual. It's, you know, again, we're all going through as a collective this, uh, the pandemic. And so making it just so that we're supporting each other along the way can go along a long way as well. Yeah. Were, were there percentages on this? Because I think it was anxiety due to COVID was very high, 80 or 90 percent, was it? Yeah, about eighty percent of employees are experiencing increased anxiety. Right. Yeah. Right. And then and then the unethical behavior in that was how high was that percentage wise? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's actually a a fairly high amount and I think right. it's fair right. to say that most of us are doing it. So I think it's important not to say that, you know, it's just highly anxious people. It's no, we're all feeling anxiety and we're engaging in these types of behaviors. Yeah, boy, it's fascinating stuff. Professor, thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, thank you so much. Lori Barclay is business and economics professor at the University of Guelph and did this study with her colleague at Ryerson about not only the, the amount, and it was about 80%, as she said, of people who uh, experienced anxiety at the workplace due to COVID. And of course, anxiety due to COVID is just, it's all of your life. And it's not even just a workplace, but this was a workplace study. And, and as a result, a high number uh, engaged in unethical behavior of uh, varying degrees. You know, and it's and it's different, I guess, than just screwing up at work. It's it's screwing up on purpose, so to, so to speak. You know, and when, I, I was lucky. Like one of the one of the first places I worked, where I thought, "Wow, this is an an important job," and I was in an office, and I, I, I like really kind of felt the pressure of it all. And and fairly big company, and it was a manager who told me, "It's like." Hey, the deal is when you screw up for whatever reason, something is wrong. The best thing to do for everybody is you, you come, you tell me and we fix it rather than you trying to hide it. You try, you know, and then it just get it grows and grows and becomes a bigger problem for everybody. And, you know, you are actually, um, admired more in this company. Now, these are some pretty good managers that I had at the time who said, no, you just have to come forward and admit it and let's talk it out and move forward because now we know what happened and we can fix it and and uh, and we can work towards you not doing that again. And, and it was great. Now, I don't think all management is like that, you know, 
I mean, I, I work in an industry where managers are often the failed employees. You know, it's like, you're not very good at your job, so let's promote you. This is not uncommon to uh, a few different industries. Whereas I think the successful managers are the ones, the, the one who have to manage people, are, are the ones who kind of take that part of their career seriously because they also have to know their industry. They have to know how to make the widgets and how to get them out on the market and all of these things and, and deal with suppliers and so on and customers and all that. So you have to know your industry, but at some point you also have to know your particular job, which is now not doing this. It's managing the people who do this, which is a whole thing. Uh, I, I think companies are pretty good these days. Most are in offering management training courses, so on and uh, so forth. Cause it can be, you know, it's uh it's tough out there and, and anxiety is absolutely um, the, the worst thing for a just general job efficiency. Now, have you ever, I'm trying to think, and I, I joked earlier that when I was thinking, have I ever done anything that was unethical at work? And I was like, yeah, 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 probably. Sure. Sure. Of course I have. I have. Uh, maybe I patted an expense report a little bit. I'm not sure, you know, wrote off that lunch, which was really not a, who knows? Uh, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. I, I, I mean, and you can be anonymous if you want, but if you, or change your name or something, would you, have you ever, have you ever done anything at work that was slightly unethical? And is it a case of, well, yeah, but everybody does that. Everybody at our place of business takes home some pens in September when the kids need school supplies. The supply cupboard seems to be out of tape and pens uh, and, and, and markers some, or whatever it is. Um, subsequently, I'd love to hear if anybody's really or, or how much more, because I think everybody has felt more anxious during COVID. Let's just say that's a given. But how much more so? Um, because this study says that it's it's like between 80, it's a little higher than 80% added anxiety during COVID. And it, as the professors said, it's because it's everywhere. It's If you have work anxiety because of work, uh, you can, on that commute home or when you get home, you can lose some of that unless you're constantly connected to the office. When you're working from home, that's much more difficult to leave the work anxiety at work. So as tough as that is, uh, it, you can't leave COVID at work because it's everywhere. And the constant reminders of how life is different because we have this now in our lives. So those are some questions you can uh, answer if you like. We'll get you the phone numbers. And uh, we'll return with more of the discussion here on Kitchener Today, City News 570. Welcome back. I am your guest host today, Larry Fedorik, with you. You just heard that uh, commercial, that spot, that ad with Mackenzie Hughes. He's at the Masters. One of the Canadians represented at this great golf tournament that started today and goes through to Sunday, I know a lot of eyes on Tiger Woods expected, but Mackenzie Hughes, Canadian, is there. Uh, so is Mike Weir, of course. Mike Weir, a winner 
of the masters all those years ago. I don't even want to think how long ago that was, but that was super exciting to, uh, I, I remember that day so well, because it's not necessarily one of those moments where we all remember where we were when Mike Weir won the match, you know, I, but for somebody who was really into golf at the time, uh, and I had a chance to get together with, uh, a couple of guys that we always golfed together as much as we could anyway. And one of the guys was a, uh, uh, tech guy. So we were at his house and I say he's a tech guy because he had the biggest screen, the biggest television anybody had ever seen at the time. Massive. It, it had units in another room and a light. It was like this complicated, but man, I'm watching the masters on a movie screen, you know, and we're over at this guy's house in the basement on his, on his massive TV screen. Uh, and Mike Weir is in contention and, and there he is. And we're like, wow, Canadian go Mike Weir. And, and who doesn't win the masters that year is Mike Weir. So that's, that's something it's almost like no matter what else you do, it's the profession of golf. I get it, but no matter what else you do in your life, you won the masters that is on your resume that is on your wall. That is part of, you know, your obituary hate to say, but you know, the long and happy life, but at the end it's like master's winner. So that's what that means for, for, uh, people. Certainly it's certainly not that, that ridiculous green jacket, the, the green sports coat that's, um, is now it, the phrase itself is emblematic. The jacket itself is not, uh, yeah, no, thanks. I have a, <clears throat> I have a coat in the car, you know, it's, uh, but Mike, we are the winner and he's playing there as well. So I always, I always watch the Canadians and I'm going to watch, uh, Tiger Woods uh, a little bit this weekend as well. More on what we're going to have a golf journalist on later on in the show. And we'll talk about that. As I mentioned before, we're also going to have Monty McNaughton on minister of labor, uh, MPP from the London area. He's going to be joining us. Uh, next hour as well. And we're going to talk about the 50 cent minimum wage hike in October promised much has to happen in Ontario provincial politics before uh, October, doesn't it? Oh yes. Yeah. It's um, it's election time. And, and I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, we're going to start seeing this, I'd say by end of April, May, where we're going to start seeing all the signs and, Oh, those lovely signs almost, almost want to make them illegal. Uh, I, seriously, like lawn signs in general, I think there should be a bylaw, you know? And, and I hate to take business away from college pro painters or this real estate or it, it's like, but they're just a blight. And then, and then you get lawn signs up now where, you know, please slow down or versions of, of that where it's like, uh, and then people start putting those up. And then, so those don't work unless every house has one for the series of a block. So that when you're driving up the block, please slow down. Okay. They don't work. And now the neighborhood is unsightly. Thank you very much. Uh, I might exempt real estate on that. If you want to have a, uh, obviously for sale or a sold sign, great. Pass that lawn signs uh, uh, against the law. And during an election when they're just everywhere, and I know that there there are laws that if you put up lawn signs uh, along uh, like public space somewhere, uh, along a boulevard, wherever you do, vote for me kind of thing, 
you are responsible for taking those down. And I think it's something like, uh, I'm guessing, but it's almost like 24, 36 hours after an election. You are responsible for taking those down as well. And most are pretty good. They take them down. But, uh, you know, for for a month's time, here we are finally waiting to get into spring and summer. And May is just going to be, it's not going to be the flowers and the trees. It's going to be these ugly lawn signs of red and blue and orange and green that just, ick. They're made to stand out. They're not made to blend in. So they're just going to be everywhere. And um, uh, I just hate them. And people, and the reason they're up, by the way, is, isn't this interesting? Because they work. Uh, how many people do you know, and maybe you yourself, have ever voted for the person with the most lawn signs? Rather than look into candidates and issues and study this, well, I don't know. That guy seems to have lawn signs everywhere. I mean, well, I'll tick that box, you know. Uh, it's crazy. Anyway, a lot of the uh, uh, the election, uh, other than that, I have I have no idea. I mean, normally I I, I have a sense of it that uh, it's a runaway for this, or it's going to be close, or it's going to be this. I at this point here, sitting here, almost you know, pushing mid April for a June second election in Ontario, I have no idea. None. And even if you're a, a, a fan, a big fan of Doug Ford and go, oh, yeah, no, Doug Ford, so walk away. I don't, I don't know that it is. I, I don't know that it is. I almost, in some cases, wish for a minority government uh, where deals and coalitions have to be made and more people, therefore, are represented and more gets done in, in a lot of ways. That's what minority governments do. I, I I almost wish for that. We shall see. Oh, so yes, uh, Monty McNaughton coming up. He's a minister of labor. We're going to talk about the promised 50 cent an hour minimum wage increase. That's coming up just after two o'clock. The news is next here on City News 570. I need you dollar, dollar, dollar. That's what I need. Hey, hey. Well, I Golf journalist Adam Stanley is going to join us in our next half hour, and we'll do a little more on that Tiger Watch. I almost feel like I could do the Tiger Watch uh, instead of doing a show. That wouldn't be much of a show. That would be called uh, the Golf Channel, wouldn't it be? I guess Golf Radio. I could do the whole show in my um, golf voice where we just uh, talk about all topics in this kind of hushed tone but i'm not going to do that uh more on uh, golf and uh, tiger and the masters in our next half hour the ontario government has said minimum wage going up by 50 cents in october of course there is much to do before that including an election coming up uh but let's talk about the minimum wage a few other things too with our guest he is the mpp for london kent middlesex and also in Ontario, our Minister of Labor and Skills Development, Monty McNaughton, is joining us. Hello, Minister McNaughton. How are you? I'm doing well. Great to be on your show, Larry. Hey, it's great uh, to have you on. Thanks for coming on the show today. First of all, let's let's talk this this minimum wage. And uh, uh, Mr. McNaughton, you've been a politician for a long time. You understand how people look at promises in an election year, and certainly with an election imminent. Uh, would you would you care to address that? 
Well, look, uh, certainly. Um, we introduced a legislation uh, last year that increased the minimum wage uh, on January the 1st uh, of this year to $15 an hour. But in that legislation, uh, it clearly says that uh, the minimum wage will go up uh, every October the 1st uh, in the years to follow. And we'll announce uh, early April what that minimum wage uh, is. So that's why we made the announcement that it's going up to fifteen fifty an hour uh, on October the 1st. And it also gives uh, predictability uh, to small businesses that annually going forward, it'll be the cost of inflation and, and they'll have some predictability around it. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people forget that, 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 that the, the, it, it's people getting more money per hour, but somebody's got to pay that out. And, and as you said, small business does need that predictability. They need to be able to anticipate that, don't they? Well, certainly. I mean, I I think this is a win for uh, all sides. Um, We want to ensure that our workers are are getting bigger paychecks. I mean, there's uh, no doubt there's inflationary uh, pressures uh, for uh, families out there. This uh, $0.50 an hour uh, increase to $15.50 means that about 750,000 workers uh, will get uh, more money. But it's also not all that we're doing. I mean, we're ensuring that workers also have more opportunities for uh, better paying jobs that's what's going to build uh, stronger families. I think of the work we're doing uh, on the skilled trades, for example, to get more young people and to get more people uh, into these great uh, careers. So there's, there's lots happening on this front. Now, arriving at 50 cents, and I, and I realize you, you can't just write big checks for everyone or ask small business to do that, but arriving at that amount, Talk about the process of that because, you know, now we're in this uh, almost hyperinflationary period. Well, sure. I mean, it is going to be based uh, going forward on on the rate of inflation. The, the Ministry of Labour will uh, determine uh, what that uh, amount is based on the Ontario uh, CPI. And on April the 1st, uh, the announcement will come every year what that minimum wage increase will be uh, in October. Uh, so, for example, uh, it was based on uh, the uh, rate of inflation uh, this year, and that's how um, we've had a number of minimum wage uh, increases uh, over the last year. And uh, that's going to be the way it's uh, set going forward, based on a formula, take the politics out of it, get predictability for small businesses, but an increase for uh, those 750,000 workers every year. Mm-hmm. Now, those 750,000 workers, they're all over Ontario. So um, people often talk about the living wage. It's almost replaced the term minimum wage in some cases. Uh, but a, a living wage, you know, 1550 is going to mean something different to somebody in Kitchener than it is to London, Toronto, or Thunder Bay, or what have you, right? So is there any way to address the living wage idea? Well, certainly uh, our plan uh, increases uh, the minimum wage. But again, back to everything that Premier Ford and our government's doing is around bigger paychecks, more workplace protections, and more opportunities uh, for better jobs. So that's why we're investing uh, $1.5 billion to get more people uh, into the skilled trades. Uh, I think of a number of uh, training programs to upskill and retrain people for uh, the tech sector. I mean, there's a huge labor shortage uh, in Ontario. In fact, today, Uh, 340,000 jobs are going unfilled. All of these are paychecks waiting to be collected. And the good news is, for many people, these are bigger paychecks. So we really do want to retrain and upskill people for these jobs that are going unfilled. That's how 
we're going to build back a, a stronger Ontario for everyone. As Minister of Labour, how, how do you look at this issue of jobs being open and and this whole issue? It's not just Ontario; it's Canada; it's worldwide in some cases, where um, people I don't know I don't know what it is, Minister, whether people are picking and choosing more the kind of jobs they want or what it is, but in a lot of cases there are jobs out there, and it's almost like there's an employee shortage. Uh, how do you address that as a ministry? Yeah, no, there there definitely is. I mean, I've said that this is uh, the greatest economic uh, challenge facing Ontario. I mean, again, back to the, the trades, one in three journey persons is over the age of 55. So there's a lot of people uh, exiting uh, the trades due to retirements, but that's the same across uh, all different professions. I work closely with uh, our friends at Communi- Tech and in the tech sector, but it's, it's every uh, industry. That's why, uh, for example, we launched the Skills Development Fund to really have innovative uh, industry-led training programs uh, to be created. And we partner with the private sector to uh, deliver uh, these training programs. So it's about upskilling, retraining, but it's also uh, immigration. And uh, I think that's one of the uh, biggest opportunities uh, we have uh, to fill these jobs that are going unfilled. One stat that really stands out for me is the fact in uh, March of 2020, 200,000 jobs are going unfilled. And, and today, as I said, it's about 340,000. So the situation is getting uh, more challenging, but we're doing a lot on this front. Right. And and as you mentioned, developing, so these jobs are open, so I'm going to apply, but I don't have the skills. So I, I, I need to be able to tap into skills development, maybe to fill that role. If nobody else wants it, I maybe I could l- learn the skills, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, now's the time to take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. Uh, We have uh, a second career program, which offers up to $28,000 per individual to uh, get retraining, to get upskilling. All of the programs are 12 months or under. Um, So we encourage everybody to visit Employment Ontario. And we'll certainly work on an individual basis to connect people with the training for jobs that are in demand close to home. We talked to the uh, uh, Canadian uh, Financial uh, uh, Independent Business Organization at the beginning of the program. We were talking about the federal budget, obviously, and and what they said also would they would be looking to federal and provincial budgets to help small businesses. Because if we talk about jobs, it's a lot of these small and medium businesses that are that are the, the you know, the the backbone and they are major employers when you put them into one group. what about, is there, is there anything in, in the works to be helping them directly? Absolutely. I, I Look, I come from a small business background in, in southwestern Ontario. Our family had a home hardware store, which uh, obviously began in, in St. Jacobs. Um, small businesses are the backbone of our communities. Um, one of the things uh, that we're doing this month is uh, ensuring that WSIB premium rebates are going out uh, to businesses and 90% of the businesses receiving uh, checks from the WSIB uh, will be small businesses. So again, that's a $1.5 billion injection uh, into the economy. These are funds that businesses have paid over the years to the uh, WSIB. So a lot of work happening on on that front. And of course, uh, the government continues to really eliminate unnecessary uh, red tape that will also help businesses grow. All right. And just in general terms, sir, um, 
elections, I mean, it's does work have to stop? I realize elections are important. I get the the democratic process, and this is something we all uh, uh, can do and vote, and I hope more of us do vote. But just what is it like as a politician going into election mode? Is it is it does work have to stop? I mean, is it just a big distraction, or what? What is it like for you? Well, you're right. We have an election coming up on uh, June the 2nd. Uh, I expect, you know, the beginning of the campaign will be uh, in early uh, May. So candidates will be uh, knocking on doors uh, across the province and all the different uh, ridings. Um, you know, I, I stay on as Minister of Labour uh, until the next uh, government is uh, sworn in. Um, but uh, certainly the, the civil service and, and the public servants um, will continue the work during the uh, the writ period. But um, that's, you know, sort of how the transition uh, goes throughout an election campaign. Uh, and lastly, I just, I just thought of this. I wanted to ask you, uh, I know that the, the relationship that, that Mr. Ford has said has been very good with the federal government, but what about Ontario and, and you in a ministry of labor position? Um, our work and position just kind of in, in world economies, because we're, we're a pretty big economy in Ontario alone. Well, certainly. I mean, um, you know, I can speak uh, personally what I do as, as Minister of uh, Labor, Training and Skills Development. I mean, we work with uh, jurisdictions uh, around the world, um, uh, especially on recruiting skilled trades workers uh, to Ontario to recruit uh, people with um, tech sector uh, experience. Uh, one of the things uh, that we did recently uh, under Premier Ford is introduce the Working for Workers Act, which recognizes international credentials for the first time. So uh, immigrants that come here, uh, only 25% of them uh, are actually working in professions that they've studied for. We moved ahead to uh, fast-track them uh, into careers uh, that they've studied for and to uh, fill these uh, labor shortages. So these are some of the things uh, that I do, you know, working with uh, governments uh, across the world and, and other jurisdictions is, to knock down those barriers, improve labor mobility, and and really grow our economy here in Ontario. Right, right. And you, you're making me think of other things. I'm just going to, this. I promise this will be the last one, but you, you talked about people coming into this country and there we expect an influx of people from Ukraine and finding jobs for these people, many of them in uh, Ontario. Is that kind of included in, in the fast track, if you will? Yeah, we prioritized uh, Ukrainian refugees uh, right now. Um, certainly, you know, heartbreaking tragedy we're seeing uh, unfolding in Ukraine over the last uh, four weeks. Uh, so we are uh, fast-tracking applications and uh, working closely with the uh, federal government to, you know, get Ukrainians here and then get them settled and have them, you know, find meaningful uh, careers uh, in Ontario. They're, they're talented people, great experience in, in the skilled trades. And uh, again, it's going to take all hands on deck from everyone uh, people here in Ontario and and newcomers to really build back a, a stronger economy, fill labor shortages, and just continue uh, to build this province. I was just thinking of the phrase "all hands on deck." I really was. I was going to just say that to you that it takes all hands on deck in when there's a crisis. Levels of government, et cetera, et cetera, all have to pull together to get these things done. I was just going to say that. There you have it. So, uh, Minister McNaughton, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, and have a great day. You as well. Monty McNaughton is the Minister of Labour and Skills Development in the province of Ontario. He's the MPP for London, Kent, and Middlesex. And really wanted to touch on a few areas, although 
the story out of, uh, well, there's a lot of stories out of the provincial government over the last few days uh, about various things. And I, I didn't really expect the big answer at the beginning, but promises during election years and times of an election, and this is not just an election year, we're right there. We're right there on the eve of the campaign almost. And when you hear these kinds of uh, uh, promises, initiatives, this is happening, this is happening, and there have been, been a lot of them over the last couple of weeks. And it's not that they're not good. It's just, oh, okay, um, you know, gas tax going away in uh, July if the government gets reelected. That was the most obvious one. Uh, but I get and I respect what Mr. McNaughton said about the minimum wage being announced last year and the minimum wage being raised every October 1st in an amount to be determined uh, as time goes on. In this case, it would be uh, um, 50 cents. So uh, I get that that bill was there earlier, but uh, uh, at the same time, it's just kind of part of this, all this news we're hearing as we get into election mode and campaign mode here in the province of Ontario. Tom, if you want to hold on, we'll get to some of your calls after this short break here on Kitchener Today, City News 570. Welcome back to the program. I'm Larry Fedorik, your guest host today on Kitchener Today, City News 570. We were just talking with Monty McNaughton, Minister of Labor and Skills Development, but a variety of issues. Started by asking about the announcement of the minimum wage increase in October 1st. We knew that was coming October 1st. We just didn't know what it was going to be. It's 50 cents is the announcement, so 1550. Uh, unless that policy changes uh, with the election of another government. I mentioned earlier when we were talking about being so close to the beginning of the campaign, I have no idea at the end of the day, June 2nd, what's going to happen. I I just don't have a sense of it. I I think I will once the campaign rolls. uh, But to ask me today, oh, it's going to be this person, that person, or this person, I just, I don't know. I don't really have a good sense of it this time around. Um, You know, I have my preferences. I think we all do. But a sense of what's actually going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Here's Tom on Kitchener today. Hey, Tom. Hi, how are you, sir? Good, how are you? Uh, 50 cents, I think, even if you went to $20 an hour, uh, it's probably not enough. But 50 cents is, like I said, it's a... Uh, it's a joke, but uh, you know they used to say there in uh, what, what was it Newfoundland anything but conservative, anything <laughs> but conservative. He's going to cut the health care to minimum bones. First thing he did when he came last time in power, he he cut the inspection of the old age homes and he killed three thousand old age people by leaving them, not doing anything, and the minister. She's still there, and uh, we we need the least we need is a, a minority government because you cannot leave this guy. I mean, this guy's a drug dealer. He's crazy. He he's just doing the right things because 
uh, he wants to get elected again. And heaven forbid if he gets another majority. Tom, thanks for your call. I, um, boy, a lot, lot of stuff there. Okay, so drug dealer. Uh, um, I, I, I have close trusted friends who are reputable people with reputable jobs who have had certain um, exchanges of money and product with Doug Ford back in high school days. And I trust these people are telling the truth. I doubt that he's still in that business. Uh, as far as some of the other things, I, I, if you haven't guessed by now, I am generally not a fan of conservatism. Uh, whether it manifests itself in the progressive conservative party or the conservative party of Canada or a conservative party by any other name, I'm not a fan of it in the bigger picture. Uh, I think it's, it's a political ideal based on holding us back, being conservative. Things were better back when. And how far back you go is how conservative you are. The further back you go, the more right you go. So uh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of this current situation, but I agree with Tom in that maybe minority governments work. First of all, we've got to redo the democratic system. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I'm just talking bigger issues now. In the meantime, uh, you know, minority governments, coalitions, agreements where people have to work together uh, end up, I think, being a lot better for people in democratic nations and parliamentary systems like we have here. Ah, screw it. Let's go golfing. You know, uh, we will talk a little bit more about the Masters. We have a golf journalist, Adam Stanley, is going to join us just after the news. That's next here on City News 570. Yesterday at this time, we talked about the Masters starting today. We just talked a little golf in a general term, uh, where you are in the golf world, where I am in the golf world, kind of hung up the clubs, as it were. Uh, I, I went as far as I could in the game, <laughs> which was not that far. Uh, but no, I, I, obviously totally recreational and fun and hobby and and uh, it was it was fun for many many years. Uh, less of a fan of watching golf now, but that's just me. Sports in general, but the big events, the big events in any sport, still kind of draw me. And um, I don't know what analogy you want to use. I wouldn't say the Masters is the Super Bowl of golf. I would say the Super Bowl is the Masters of football, probably because it is it is a long established traditional tournament. And of the majors, it's certainly, well, it's the first and it's uh, the favorite for a lot of people. And there's always a story, there's always drama, and there's always a story when Tiger Woods is there, it seems, and he's there. So it not only is the Masters, it's a rite of spring and it's uh, it's great to watch and see in that, in that traditional course at Augusta, but it's also interesting to watch Tiger. And there is a Tiger watch uh, again. You know, we're getting 
updates as to how he's doing and not bad on his front nine. And I guess I'm probably taking our guest away from, from watching Tiger's uh, walk around Augusta and, and round at Augusta. But uh, here he is, multimedia golf journalist, Adam Stanley, joining us. Thanks for joining us, Adam. No problem. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, this is really, I, I was lamenting yesterday how 25 years on, here's a 46-year-old golfer who, well, won in 2019, granted, but really hasn't done a lot of golf, And but he's the guy. That's That's the impact of Tiger Woods. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I think the you buried the lead a little bit. I mean, the the return this year is has been so incredible because 14 months ago he was, of course, in that massive car accident that uh, almost resulted in him not only losing his leg but also losing his life. This is the first time that Tiger Woods has teed it up in in about a year and a half. And uh, he, he had said earlier this week, and he he said it last year as well, that the doctors told him that uh, amputation of his leg was on the table when they were trying to develop a recovery uh, effort for him uh, last February when he got into this car accident. So uh, the fact that he has returned and is playing golf again and is playing the Masters, which is the, the biggest event in the sport, is uh, certainly worth celebrating. It, it's, it's a little bit shocking, and it's pretty cool, to be honest, as well. Yeah, it is. It is incredible. And I, and I didn't mean to bury the lead, but I, I mean, I had to look it up yesterday to to really understand when that accident was, you know, t- time timelines kind of get fuzzy yeah, sometimes during true. COVID and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, it was only 14 months. It's, it's February, 2021. That accident happened. That in itself is incredible that anybody would be up just kind of walking around, never mind walking four miles on a golf course every day, hitting a ball. Exactly. And I think that that's such a great point as it relates to Tiger's return this week, even the, the casual sporting listener uh, will know about Augusta National. They'll know how difficult and how magical of a golf course this is. But what they may not know, and, and I've been there a couple of times, is that this golf course is incredibly hilly. There are about 100 to 120 feet worth of elevation on this golf course. There's no flat lies either. So every time that Tiger Woods addresses a ball this week, uh, he's going to be a little bit off kilter. And, and the real question on Tiger Woods this week was a little bit less about his actual golf swing. Uh, it looks and sounds and, and seems to feel pretty good right now, uh, but it was the walking and the movement from shot A to shot B to shot C over and over again, and how would he be able to handle that on, on such a tricky golf course? So far, so good. I think he's, before we jump on the call, he's, he's even par uh, and just in his back nine. So he's doing pretty darn good, all things considered. Yeah, but but to your point, and do it again tomorrow, and possibly yeah. the next day and the next day. A hundred percent, and that's the unique thing about golf. You know, maybe if you if you play a, a football or hockey or or whatever, you can kind of grind it out for sixty minutes, and and you can make it through to the end of that game. Uh, Tiger Woods's reward, if he plays well today, is to do it all over again tomorrow, and then, like you said, if he makes the cut and plays the weekend, that'll be four days straight. So this is certainly uh, certainly a grind. Um, but if anyone is up to this challenge, it's definitely Tiger Woods. Yeah, I I, I laughed at the question uh, on was it Tuesday or yesterday? Was it said, "Do you think you can win?" And I was like, "Oh, come on! How dare you ask Tiger <laughs> Woods? If why would he be there if he didn't think he could win?" Exactly, and th- and that's how he responded. And and like you said off the top, this 
this guy's 46 years old and has seemingly proven everything there is to prove uh, in, in this game. I mean, you talk about people who are listening to this and they may not follow a lick of golf, but they would know who Tiger Woods is. And that's arguably, you know, a lot of those people may know him because of his off course issues, but almost everyone else knows about him because of his on course successes, 82 PGA tour wins, 15 majors, including uh, that return to glory masters victory in 2019. And uh, that competition drives him, And that's really why he's here this week. He wants to win. Well, the other story, the, his, his sort of social downfall in 2009, uh, a recovery from that, some, some health issues, uh, kind of recovering from that for the most part, a car accident, and now, and now this, this story. I, and somebody said it to me yesterday, so I, I think we love the comeback. I think that's part of the reason we're cheering for this guy. Yeah, and you know the, they've made Disney films about the sporting comebacks, and, and Tiger Woods has kind of been living a, a life of comebacks. Yes, like you said, from kind of his, his marital troubles, and then I think he's had four or five surgeries on his back. He's had surgery on his Achilles, knee, and neck, I believe, if, I, if I've gotten them all uh, off the checklist there. Wow. So every single time he, he does something like that, uh, he comes back and he manages to win. So it, it does, you know, remain to be seen. He, he has admitted he'll never play a regular, in air quotes, PGA Tour schedule again. But, you know, there's no reason why he can't tee it up four or five times in a year. The major championships are spread out enough uh, and maybe come back and, and compete and maybe beat this generation of golfers that are out there now that uh, that he was responsible for inspiring. When you look at other professional sports leagues, there's usually a handful of superstars. If one's not there or doesn't make a playoff or something, there's somebody else to cheer for. I realize team sports are different, but speak to the PGA. I mean, they, they there's there's great players, and a lot of them are very marketable players, but nobody has reached that Tiger level. Is that a PGA thing where they're just not creating the stars or – what is that about? I just think that, you know, it, it, it's a great question. And, and I think the part of the reason is that nobody has won as quickly and as in, and as in as dominating a fashion as Tiger Woods. So that is the thing that really caught people's eye. When Tiger Woods first won the Masters, he was 21 years old and he won it by 12 shots. And then just a few <laughs> years later, he won the U.S. Open by 15 shots and then the British Open by eight that same summer. So yes, there are a handful of guys who have won majors since then and, and done incredible things. Rory McIlroy, former world number one, is going for the Grand Slam of golf this week, and only a handful of guys have ever done that in their lives. But the the quickness and the rewriting of the history books and how incredibly fascinated everyone was with this like this crazy rise to the top by Tiger Woods, uh, it's not really the PGA Tour's fault. The guys haven't done the same kind of thing that Tiger Woods did, you know, two decades ago. So we're still waiting for somebody yeah. to come along and do that. Uh, but for now, it, it's instead of a, a singular superstar, it's a collection of stars that um, is taking this next generation of golf into the future. Yeah, true enough. I mean, but you're right to all that and more. They changed golf courses based on Tiger Woods. They did, yes. <laughs> You know, it's like, and, and tournaments including and the way tournaments one. are covered. A hundred percent, including Augusta National and, and almost, 
you know, most, most courses that are, that are host courses for PGA tour events now and have been for two, two decades uh, had to be lengthened because of what Tiger Woods did. Uh, the, the thing that hasn't changed and you, you know, golf a lot better than I, so tell me if I'm wrong, but there hasn't a lot of um, people of color playing golf because everybody said, well, Tiger Woods. So now, you know, you got to see it to be it almost in the same way. We haven't seen a new generation of, of, of black tennis stars, even though we have the Williams sisters. Uh, is, is that a thing? I mean, should there be more of that? Should Tiger Woods be the example or is it golf itself, which doesn't lend itself to, to, uh, uh you know, a particular group, a social group or what have you? I mean, that's a, that's a tough question to answer, to be, uh, to be honest. But what we have seen is Tiger Woods's foundation um, that he started not long after that first major win uh, has done a lot for marginalized communities and, and tried to grow uh, certainly the education and the game of golf as best as he can. Um, you know, that's, that's not to say that there are no people of color who play on the PGA tour. Uh, and, and it might be more of a generational sporting thing for the game of golf mm. versus, you know, just a one individual. And, and you think about, you know, golf as a whole, yes, there's public clubs, but there's also still private clubs as well. And people can choose uh, who not choose, but uh, it comes down to how much money someone has, if they want to join club mm. A or B, or if they want to pay 20 bucks and, play nine holes with their friends. So, you know, that, that'll always probably be there as it relates to golf. Uh, by the way, did you, I'm, I only caught a little bit of it months ago in, in some kind of father son uh, tournament where Tiger played with his son. Yes, that was in, uh, that was in December. So he, he was able to use a cart then it was more of a, uh, an off season kind of hit and giggle kind of event. Yes, there were right. PGA tour guys in there and Tiger still had to hit shots, but uh, it wasn't quote, serious <laughs> quotes, I guess. But, but it was kind of cool to see. I mean, his son's pretty good, I guess. I'm not, I mean, sure. I don't know. Uh, he's got a pretty good coach, obviously, but uh, his son was pretty good, I thought. His son, yeah, his son is a, is a, is a good golfer. I mean, his, his son is, um, you know, just, I think in his early teens, he may be 11 or 12. I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, when his father was 11 or 12, Tiger Woods was winning, in the midst of winning three straight, you know, junior amateur events, the biggest events for young kids. And then he went on to win three straight uh, USAMs and then he turned pro and he won the PGA tour right away. So, you know, his kid's not really on that trajectory, but uh, no. his action is his swing is very nice and he seems to be enjoying it. And honestly, I think having his son um, be part of the comeback for Tiger Woods is, is the thing that's continuing to, to push him forward. Yeah, and I, I just like the whole, given Tiger's relationship with his dad and that all of that, for Tiger to have a, a son now that he can golf with, and I think Tiger was asked about, you know, well, you're Tiger Woods, your son's being pushed to golf, and, and Tiger was like, no, I'm just pushing him to be the best person he can be. It was just, mm -hmm. it was a great answer. I remember that so well. Yeah, for sure. And the Tiger and his father, Earl, I mean, that relationship you know, transcended the sport and was such a big part of, um, you know, the, the big Tiger Woods era from, from the late nineties until uh, Earl Woods is passing. And, and now we see Tiger and his own kid having a very, very special relationship as well. And uh, to your point about the father son event, it's in December. Um, and it's just, it's, it's one of those really cool things that you stop and you look and you see this unbridled joy 
from Tiger Woods, arguably one of the most laser-like athletes that we've seen over the last 30 years. Uh, he just he just is having so much fun, uh, which is pretty neat to see as well. Yeah, and and it's this this other thing. I mean, I know how life works, kind of, but I mean, just I have a memory of Tiger Woods being this fresh-faced kid, winning uh, the Masters. And now here, here he's got a grown-up son, almost grown up, you know. And it's uh, it's it's really interesting in that respect. Just back to the Masters, really quickly before we let you go, Adam. Uh, so who else is out there? Who who do we like? Or uh, uh, maybe you don't like to make predictions, but who do you see as strong this year? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good question. I mean, I'll I'll start with the Canadians, of course. Three Canadians are in the field uh, this year: uh, Mackenzie Hughes, Mike Weir, who of course won the Masters in 2003, uh, and Corey Connors. And, and Corey, he's from Listowel, Ontario, and he's finished in the top ten at the Masters the last two years. 32nd in the world, Canada's top ranked uh, male golfer, and uh, I just think that he's really got a nice chance to win the Green Jacket. If not this year, then then sooner. Rather than later, just before we jumped on the call, I saw that he was uh, at even par, and, and the lead right now is three under par. So he's he's firmly in the mix in the early part of Thursday. A ton of storylines, though, of course, at the Masters, as as per usual. Um, world number one is Scotty Scheffler. He's coming in this week, having won three of his last five PGA Tour events. So he's on a, on a pretty nice stretch right now. But then you kind of go up and down the list of the top ten guys uh, in the world, and they're all pretty much with that same kind of chance uh, to win this major championship and uh, go down in history. Wow. Uh, you mentioned you were at Augusta. You got a chance to go a couple of times. Did you have the sandwiches? <laughs> I did. I had the sandwiches. I, I've been I've been there twice. The, the pimento cheese sandwich, which everybody knows, is, is on, it's okay. Uh, it's, it's really like a mayo-based sandwich with three kinds okay. of cheeses in it. So it's more of like a soupy spread of mayonnaise with cheese flavor. Uh, okay. The winning sandwich, the best sandwich on the property uh, is the Georgia peach ice cream sandwich. It's Georgia peach ice cream in between two um, vanilla sugar cookies and you, you can't beat it. It's the best one there. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. I want one now. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's great. Adam, this is great insight. Thank you for your words and your time today. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Adam Stanley is a multimedia golf journalist talking about that. The, the, the sandwiches. I, oh, I should have asked Adam because I don't remember off the top of my head, but the, the pimento cheese, pimento sandwiches. And I think there's an egg salad and they're always like, I want to say like two bucks. They've been the same price for dozens and dozens of years. That's kind of part of the, the masters is, is these cheap sandwiches. Uh, but I've never heard about that uh, peach ice cream sandwich. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so golf is uh, 18 holes, nine holes, nine holes. So we're kind of on our back nine, even on our last few holes here. We'll make our final putts. Oh, I'm going to end this metaphor right now uh, and just say we'll be back in a moment here on City News 570. Welcome back to the program. I am Larry Fedorik, your guest host today, City News 570. We're just talking about the uh, Masters with uh, Adam Stanley. It's a very uh, insightful chat with a golf uh, journalist. Producer Paulie is here. Are you a golfer, Paulie? 
maybe once a year, and even that's a stretch. So I would say no. <laughs> okay. I do have I my say, own yeah. set of clubs, though, just in case I, mean, I, I ever do go. Really? You have your own set of clubs? Well, it's it's a very basic set that my parents got me, I don't know, maybe for my 18th or 20th birthday. So there's, you know, there's a couple of uh, woods in there, and then maybe like a two, a five, and a nine. That's about it. Right. Okay. So, but but still, you don't have to rent the clubs. That's right. That, that helps when you're going to golf. Um, and yeah, I I was, and I mentioned this yesterday when I uh, I went through a lot of my adulthood without golfing. Same same as you. Like once a year, the company is a, so you go out and it's kind of just a a drunk and a party and a drive out in the on the grass on a golf course, trying not to roll the golf cart. Okay, fun. And then um, when my son wanted to golf. He was about 12, 13, I think. And I started to take him out. I started to actually enjoy the game and just took it up for like a whole number of years and just was dedicated to it for, for so many years. But yeah, as somebody said yesterday, I think it's, it's one of those things where it's, um, it's, it's a commitment, right? Four five, six hours, whatever you got to do. Yeah. It takes so. a long, it's almost pretty much a whole day. Yeah. It is. It is. The, it is the day because then, especially if you're going somewhere decent, you got to drive there, and and drive back and and, and um, yeah. I mean, I I golfed for many years when I was doing morning shows and things like that. I ended up kind of being off hours with a lot of my friends, so I started golfing on my own. And I would go to a a public course and I would sign up as a as a single, mm-hmm. and they would wait and they would put you with a foursome where somebody didn't show up or once in a while they would just take, well, we've got three or four singles here waiting to get on. We'll put them together as a foursome. Right. And I used to do this quite a bit. And I did this for a number of years and I would tell people this and people go, Oh, you must've met a lot of interesting people. And I would tell them, I'd like, I, I don't know because as soon as you get, three strangers, four strangers on a golf course, all playing golf. You know what they talk about? Golf? For four hours. Yeah. <laughs> you just, oh, I, I hooked that shot just a little bit, eh, Joe? Yeah. Did you see Tiger last weekend when he, on the 16th out of the scent? Oh, yeah, no, I wonder. What kind of clubs are those? Where did you get those? Hey, they got a deal on shoes or, oh, for four or five hours. You would just talk golf if you talked at all. It was, it was like I never really knew what anybody. Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, what do you think of the government? You know, like no, uh, just golf. And I was like, I don't know. Although this one time, I it, it was like four complete strangers, four single players. They put us together, sent us out to the course, and I, I ended up kind of hitting the ball the same place as this one guy. So I'm talking. And we're walking the course at this point. So we're walking and talking and, and laughing and about the third hole. So now you're, you're a good half an hour into your game here. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I'm walking up the fairway with this guy and I go, so uh, by the way, what do you, what do you do uh, to pass your days? What do you do for a living? And he says, uh, I'm a priest. Ah, okay. And I'm like, immediately I'm like, okay, the last half hour, what did I say? <laughs> how, how many F-bombs did I drop the GD at any point? Did I tell the joke about the Mother Superior? Gosh, I hope. I was just, it was the worst thing. And I, 
I kind of laughed and I said to him, I said, gee, I hope I, I, uh, I hope I haven't said anything so far. He goes, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, this is not confession. He was a really good guy. I was yeah, like, don't worry about it. Just say 10 Hail Marys and you'll be fine. That's right. That's right. And uh, I have a, a, a special prayer for you to make this putt. Thank you. You know, but it was like, that was one of the few guys I remember actually asking what they do because once you get into a golf course, it's golf, 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 golf. So it really can can consume you. And I'm not. I, I'm kind of happy to not be at that point anymore, where I still enjoy watching some of the game. I'm, I, you know, I might get up and play again, but I, I don't know uh, uh, if I will. Maybe that once a year is just uh, good enough. Anyway, I'm Larry Fedorik. Enjoyed my time here today on City News 570. I'll be back next week. Uh, on this. In the meantime, check out my weekly podcast. A new episode comes up every Thursday, so there's a new one today, and it's about KFC, and trust me, it's not an infomercial. <laughs> I I think you'll enjoy it wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out my YouTube channel, City News 570. We'll talk soon.